morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, November 1st, we're studying Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 22. In today's text, the author of Hebrews continues his list of examples of Old Testament saints who lived by faith. In this section, we will consider especially Abraham and the patriarchs. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Tim Stork. Pastor Stork serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan. Pastor Stork, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Pastor Apple. It's good to be with you and your listeners today. So we get started. Give us some context. We're in the middle of Hebrews 11. What should we know about the epistle, this section that'll help us with the text for today? Yeah, Hebrews is a sermon given to the church in the early, probably the early parts of the New Testament. Um, Hebrews is one of the few books that we don't actually have an author for. Um, so it leaves it up to a little bit of the imagination and um, understanding of who this book was written by and ultimately for the good of the church. Um, in this sermon, though, we come up on probably one of the well-known most sections of the book of Hebrews, which is chapter 11, um, which is the chapter that deals and speaks about the faith of the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament saints, the Old Testament believers. Um, just before this, um, we heard about the faith of Abel, the faith of Enoch, and the faith of Noah. Um, but chapter 11 opens with some of those probably most well-known words about by faith we understand the universe is created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. And of course, before that, um, the writer of Hebrews says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, which ultimately for us as Christians living in this day and age is something for us to continue to hold tightly to. Uh, absolutely. Now, I, I appreciate you calling them the Old Testament saints. That's the way I, I usually refer to them, too. And especially for this particular program, you know, you and I are, are speaking earlier in the month of October, but this, this program is set to air on November 1st, which is All Saints Day. And, and on All Saints Day, we tend to think about those saints that have saint in front of their name, St. Peter, St. Mm -hmm. Paul, St. John. But even those Old Testament saints that we don't always address with the name Saint, you know, we don't usually call him Saint Abraham or Saint Jacob, as we'll talk about today, yet they too are saints. And so it just seems very fitting to, that we're, we're reading this text on All Saints Day. This, this program is airing then when we remember those who have lived by faith, that that includes both the saints in the Old and the New Testaments. Yeah, that's right. Um, it, it's always a good reminder for us as Christians living in this world that these Old Testament patriarchs and these Old Testament figures 
um, ultimately are saved the exact same way that we are, and that's by faith in Jesus. Um, it is Jesus's death and resurrection from the grave that gives them life, that gives them hope. Um, and of course, their lives are lived looking forward to the coming fulfillment of the promise of Jesus, where our lives are looking back to that fulfillment that Jesus gave to us um, at the cross. And so we are all saved by the very same thing, by this very same, you know, by this very same sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in the section of Hebrews 11 that we have today, we get to talk at length about Abraham. He's going to be the primary figure, but we're also going to talk about a couple of the other patriarchs, some of his initial descendants. Any overarching things to keep in mind as we look at this section in particular, Pastor Stork? Um, it's, of course, really good for us um, as we look at this section to remember especially the different Old Testament texts um, that come into play here. Um, especially, again, in regards to Abraham and his interactions with God. Um, it's really easy for us to kind of get off the rails sometimes as we look through this text. Um, but as, we, as long as we keep the text from Genesis in front of us, um, we should have a pretty, a pretty good time of it today. Yeah, for sure. Now, we won't get to read all of the Genesis text that we need to for our, our time today, because we are really going to cover basically Genesis 12 all the way through the end of that book, through Genesis yeah. 50 in the history that we have. But there are very key texts that will be discussed and meditated upon as we look at this text from Hebrews 11. So we pick up the text beginning at verse 8 in that chapter. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and from him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. 
That is our text for today. That's Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 22. Again, Pastor Stork, the majority of this text deals with Abraham, and so that's where we start is verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And those first couple of verses deal with the matter of Abraham's faith in his in receiving his call in the way that he went. Uh, give us any necessary Old Testament text background that we should have and, and take us into the way the writer of Hebrews is applying it. Okay, so um, if your listeners want to take a moment and um, go ahead and go back to Genesis chapter 12, um, they'll have a chance to read through, again, that, that call of Abraham. The thing that's really interesting here, leading up to the beginning of chapter 12 um, and our text for today, is the fact that we are given a little bit about Abraham's background and his family life. And the one thing that the writer of Genesis makes very clear is that Abraham was not a believer. Abraham was a, of a pagan family. Um, and, and so there was nothing good in Abraham. There was nothing that would cause God to say, you know, oh, Abraham is such a better person than somebody else. No, Abraham is, is like the, the rest of the fallen world at that point in time. And so all of a sudden here in 12 verse 1 in Genesis, you have this very clear spoken word. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I'll just, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so right there in the opening couple of verses of chapter 12, God commands Abraham to leave everything behind, to follow after his word, and to trust in him. And God is the one who drives Abraham. So instead of Abraham being the one in the driver's seat, God is the one who drives him. And then how does Abraham react? What does Abraham do? Well, verse 4. I, I love this. Three simple words. So Abram went, he heard the call of God, and he went. That's what faith does. Um, faith hears the word of God, and it, and it acts. And, and that's exactly what, what Abraham does. Um, he obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Um, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He, he trusted God um, to, to take him to a place that he had no idea where he was going to be headed. Yeah, and, and when you look at that text from Genesis 12, the, what he brings out there in Hebrews 11 about him not knowing where he was going is, is made even, I think, there's a, even a greater contrast with the way that, that the Lord says to Abraham there that he's going to leave not only his country, but then his kindred, and then his father's house, you know, narrowing uh, in terms of the amount of affection toward each of those things, country, kindred, even father's house. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, I'm going to leave these places, Lord. Where am I going? Uh, I'll show you. Yeah. And he doesn't doesn't say where. 
it makes that all the more striking. And, and as you said, you know, the fact that Abraham is an idolater prior to this, which is is made very plain in, in Joshua chapter 24, especially, he in Joshua's farewell address to the people of Israel before he dies, he he flat out says that Abraham was an idolater. Mm-hmm. You know, that that too just shows the the wonderful nature of faith as a gift, that this wasn't something inherent within Abraham. Kind of like we talked about in the previous text with Noah. Why did God choose Noah? It was by grace, through faith. Same thing with Abraham. By God's grace, through faith, he chooses Abraham, and Abraham responds in faith by going, going to this place that God will give him as an inheritance. We talked a little bit about that inheritance word with Noah as well. So there's something that is coming, right? So, okay, so Genesis chapter 12, that's going to be a key text for especially verse 8. Now, in, in verse 9, we get by faith again. Abraham now goes to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents. So keep taking us into the, the narrative of Abraham there in verse 9 with the writer of Hebrews. Yeah, so now we find Abram having gotten to the land of promise, but it's still not permanent. He's They haven't built homes they haven't built a a temple they haven't built um you know the the things that you would normally construct um but they are still living they're still living in tents there is still a a sense of um of movement here um that the lord may call them to go somewhere else um that they still have to trust in god that he's going to provide for them uh, this place for them to be in. Um, you know, at this point in time, the, there are still other foreign peoples living in this area of the world. Um, the Israelites, until we get to Joshua, have not taken possession of the land. Abraham hasn't truly taken possession of the land, even though God has already promised this is going to be, you know, belong to him um, and to his family. And so... You know, the fact that they're living in tents, again, just reiterates this idea that the Lord may very well be moving them around um, and and that they are going to have to continue to trust in him. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the idea that they're living in tents and they're living there in those tents as if it's a foreign land is, is a reminder that God has made this promise and they know he's going to fulfill it, but he hasn't yet. And so they're, they're living in that tension where, okay, I'm living in tents, and it's like I'm living in a foreign land, but God, you've promised that this land is going to be given to me and to my descendants. It, it shows the way that faith lives, that even though faith can't see that right in front of it, that there's still that confidence, that assurance, the conviction that was talked about there in verse 1, and that's evident in the fact that they're living in tents as in a foreign land. Yeah. Um, And that takes us then into verse 10, where the writer of Hebrews goes on, and he says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Um, And and of course, then you have the the last part of that, that sentence, whose designer and builder is God. But again, here is Abraham who's looking forward and Isaac and Jacob who are looking forward to that day when God will truly give them this, this promised land where they will be able to build homes and a city and a, a temple to, to worship at. 
But even more so, I think the writer of Hebrews is also reminding them that this foundation, this city that they have to look forward to is not just an earthly city, but is an eternal city, it is a heavenly city. Um, you know, we have the examples throughout, you know, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, for example, where God instructs Moses in the construction of um, the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. But he doesn't necessarily give them designs on how to build the city of Jerusalem, for example. So what is the city that has, you know, these foundations whose designer and builder is God? Well, for us as Christians, and ultimately for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, it's looking forward to the, the great city of Jerusalem, the, the new Jerusalem, um, at the end of time, the, the, the city that we are promised um, and the eternal life that we're promised, especially as St. John shows us in, in his revelation. Yeah, yeah, they can live in these tents as if they are in a foreign land because they know there's something permanent coming, coming. that city that's built by God, not the tents that I'm, I'm putting up everywhere, but rather the city that's built by God. They know that permanent thing is coming, and it's coming from God, and so they can live by faith now. So then, that takes us then through, you know, that's, that's primarily Abraham's role in this part, and now the writer of Hebrews also is going to bring up Abraham, Abraham's wife, Sarah, and she comes up in verse 11. So, so talk to us, where do we need to, to pay attention to in the Old Testament here, and how does the writer of Hebrews talk about Sarah and use her as an example of faith? So now we need to move forward, um, especially while well, beginning at chapter 16 in Genesis, and then going forward um, into 17 and um, 18 and just those following chapters as well. Um, but of course, you know, we're reminded that God has promised to Abraham that he is going to be the father of many nations. Abraham and Sarah are barren. They're unable to have children for one reason or another. Um, of course, remember, Sarah gives Abraham her servant. Um, she's going to take matters into her own hands in, in a way. Um, she provides her servant. Abraham has a child. Eventually, um, the Lord comes to Abraham, and he tells Abraham, um, your heir is not going to be one of the men who lives in your tents. Um, it's also not going to be um, Hagar's son, but you are going to have your own son from Sarah. And of course, when the Lord tells Abraham this, Sarah is outside of the tent. Um, and while this conversation is ongoing, Sarah laughs because she can't believe, you know, how am I supposed to be a mother? My husband is 100 years old. I'm 90. Seriously, Lord, do you want to give us children now? Um, and of course, you know, Sarah conceives and she bears a son. She, she has nine months later, she, she has Isaac. Um, God fulfills his promises to, to Abraham and to Sarah. But I think that's where, again, we see kind of this change happen. Um, that at first, Sarah, Sarah wasn't too sure about this. Um, you know, you may even go so far as to say maybe Sarah 
didn't believe that God could provide a child through her womb that in a way was dead, um, but that God can, God can do anything. Um, and so he opens the womb of Sarah and she has faith and she and Abraham have this child. They, they have this gift of, of Isaac. So this, this mention of Sarah particularly, I find very comforting within this chapter. Because as you were going through the account that's, that's there in Genesis, particularly when you get into, say, chapters 16 through 18, you kind of wonder about Sarah, and you kind of wonder about Abraham too. Like, do you guys really believe? And, and I think bringing up Sarah particularly, and, and Abraham as well in that regard, because he plays a role in both of those, in those chapters as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you, if you don't have that background, then you could start to read Hebrews 11 and, and start to despair. Like, I, I could never live up to the faith of, of Noah. I could never live up to the faith, faith of Abraham. I don't want to move somewhere that I've never seen, and I don't know where I'm going until I get there. Mm-hmm. And, and so when the writer brings up these, these moments in the lives of these Old Testament saints, and this is not the last one by any means. We're going to encounter a couple, I think, later in this yeah. text. I think it's it's a reminder that yes, these are saints and they live by faith, but they did that while they were also sinners who struggled with unbelief. And just like that man in the Gospels prays, "Lord, I believe; help my unbelief." So these Old Testament saints had to pray, and so mm-hmm. we pray still today. And I think seeing some of those places in this chapter where we see the the sins of these saints, even if it's in the background, it brings comfort to us to know that yeah, we can be included in this hall of faith as well. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Um, you know, as we read through these chapters in, in Genesis and, com, you know, come back to forward to Hebrews chapter 11, um, we are reminded that each of these individuals, yes, by faith they are saints. God has made them saints, but they're still sinners. Um, and, and so for us as as Christians, when we look at our own lives and we we think you know oh my gosh you know i'm not a good christian you know chief of sinners though i be with with saint paul but by grace you know god has called me to to be a saint to um to live in his kingdom and and so you know again as you've reminded us pastor apple about some of these things going on with sarah with her laughter at god or the times that, you know, Abraham, twice Abraham, you know, says, well, Sarah's my sister. You know, he, he's afraid of speaking the truth because, you know, what happens, you know, I may lose my life if I tell them that, you know, Sarah is actually my wife. And, and that's not is an excuse for us as Christians to be like, well, it's okay for me to do that too. No, it's not. But as Christians, we are going to sin. And Thanks be to God, we have a gracious Lord who, who loves sinners and who forgives us. Hmm. Now, again, faith by faith, Sarah receives this power to conceive even when she was past the age because she considers God faithful. And then in verse 12, I, I love this too. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Help us into verse 12 there. Yeah, so... We continue to to make our our way forward. Um, 
to Genesis chapter 21 and 22 with the birth of Isaac and then, you know, going into to the sacrifice of Isaac as well. Um, but I guess from the writer of Hebrews, the, the, the preacher of Hebrews, from his perspective, Abraham, 100 years old, is as good as dead at, at that point. And, you know, the, the chance of a man being 100 years old having a child and from that child you know his family um, his descendants being as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the heaven um, goes beyond anything that we can really comprehend but again here is that, that wonderful work of god um, that even from the dead body of abraham and you know, the dead womb of, of Sarah, God can bring life. And from, from those two, you know, he brings about the, the birth of Isaac. Yeah. And, and that's a, such a remarkable example in the scriptures of the way that God works. It's just like when we talked about previously in this chapter that when God created, he created out of nothing. That's really what he's doing here too, in the lives of Abraham and Sarah. There's, there is nothing within this couple that suggests that's the one to choose in order to bring a great nation. You, you don't choose the barren couple who's too old to have kids at this point anyway. They are, as, as the writer says, as good as dead. And yet that's precisely the one that God chooses. And it is through them that God brings about this, this great nation, which is just a, a wonderful way to, to see God at work. And I think, you know, provides us great hope when we think about the way that God works in our lives. We are dead in our sins. What hope is there? God is in the business of bringing life out of death. And, and just as he did for Abraham and Sarah, so he does for us, too, in bringing us to life in faith, right? And so this faith that we have that's being discussed in this chapter, that is God's gift of life to those who are dead in their sins. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing to see. I, I just love that turn of phrase, that they were as good as dead, and yet God brought innumerable descendants. And that includes you and me. We're going to take our break right there, and we'll pick up more of this text on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Tim Stork this morning about Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks.
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, November 1st. We're studying Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 22 with Pastor Tim Stork. He serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan. Pastor Stork, prior to the break, we were talking about Abraham and Sarah as the writer talks about their background in verses 8 to 12, really covering, say, oh, Genesis 12 through about chapter 18 or so. And then in verse 13, there's, I'm not sure if I call this an interlude or what, but he seems to get a little bit more general as he talks here before he comes more specifically back into the narrative that's there in Genesis. So in verse 13, he says, these all died in faith. Maybe, maybe thinking about all the way to, to Abel. They died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. There's a lot in that verse to unpack, Pastor Stork. Help us out. So the, the first thing that the writer here tells us is that these all died in the faith. Um, they have all been saved by Jesus and his blood, even, even as they struggled with their, their sin. And the things that God had promised to them, they hadn't received them. So Abraham, for example, had not received the promised land as um, God had told him he, his descendants were going to receive. Um, but because of faith, because of the promises of God, because of his word, they saw them almost from afar and greeted them and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So these ones who came before realize, especially after the fall in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, that because of what happened ultimately we've we've become strangers and and exiles here that because of the because of sin that has come into the world um earth is not our home in a way um and of course we can make the connection with abraham who you know as a stranger and exile um spending his time wandering around what ultimately would become the promised land um, but again, the fact that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were living out of tents, it really wasn't their home at that point. Um, that they were still dealing with, you know, other forces and other kings and other peoples. Um, and it wasn't until God ultimately provided them with the promised land and us as Christians, again, reminding us back in verse 10, 10 he was looking forward to the city that has foundations which is the same thing for us as christians that we look forward to the city that has foundations for something that is concrete something that is been promised to us by god that will not be destroyed by sin death and the devil in this world um and they're not things that are right in front of us, but they are things that are afar. Talk, talk more about this matter of acknowledging that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's, that's broader than what we were talking about earlier, where they're living in these tents as in a foreign land. Here he says that they were strangers and exiles, not just in a foreign land like one country, but on the earth. Talk, talk more about that nature of the Christian life. Yeah, so... For us as Christians, one of the things that we that we realize is that in this world, 
we are constantly facing um, the, the struggles that, that happen because of sin. And, you know, we, we realize that, for example, death is not the way things are supposed to be. Our, our lives were meant to be eternal in the garden. Um, when, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them the gift of life um, by planting that tree of life in the garden and allowing them to eat from it. Um, and yet, after the fall, Adam and Eve find themselves being exiled from the garden, no longer able to um, access that tree of life. And of course, that tree being destroyed in the flood um, at the time of Noah. And, and so we continue to find ourselves struggling in this world um, as, as almost as ones who, who don't have homes, um, kind of like Abraham is, is described here, struggling under the power of sin, struggling with death. And yet Christ has promised us something permanent, something eternal. Um, and that is the thing that we keep our eyes focused on. Um, you know, with all the things that are happening in the world, especially as, as we record this program today, um, the things happening in the Middle East, um, things taking place in, in Ukraine and Russia still today, um, you know, we're, we're reminded about how quickly the things of this world come and go. And so for us as Christians, we don't keep our eyes focused on these things that perish as things that we try to hold to. Of course, Solomon reminds us in um, Ecclesiastes that all things are vanity. You know, we, we try to build up our wealth, but who do we give it to when we die? You know, we, we try to um, create homes for ourselves and our families and a storm knocks them down the next day. Um, you know, we, we find all of these things. And yet God has promised us something permanent, something eternal. Um, and, and so we live our lives as exiles on this earth, looking forward to that day when God will bring us into our permanent country and into our permanent home with him. Mm. Now help us into to the next verse, verse 14. For people who speak thus... Make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Yeah. And so our, our, our homeland is with Christ. It, it is the, um, the new heaven and the new earth that he has promised to us. Um, at the last day, we, we've been studying in my brown bag Bible study on Thursdays, we've been studying the book of Revelation. And we've finally gotten to chapters 21 and 22 where we get this glimpse. Um, it's almost taken us two years to finally get there, Pastor. Um, but we finally get there to this glimpse of the new Jerusalem, the, the, the temple um, and, and the great city that God has created for his people. And as I told many folks last week as we were studying it, you know, the, the description that John gives is so marvelous. It is so beyond understanding with all of the, the little intricate details that for us as people of faith, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it is that glorious that John was trying, you know, by the work of the Holy Spirit to give us at least some understanding. Um, the way I explained it to my people is, you know, the first time 
a bridegroom saw his bride walk into the sanctuary. She is the most beautiful, um, the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. And, and there are really no words to describe her. Um, you know, you're married. I'm, I'm married. Um, that first time when I saw Sarah walk into the sanctuary on the day we were to be married, just, I, I don't know how to describe it um, a, as her husband now. And that's the way John was trying to describe the new Jerusalem for us. And that is the permanent home that, that God has, has promised us. It's the new heaven and the new earth. It is the new Eden in a way. Now, verses 15 and 16, I think, go together. On the one hand, he says in verse 15, if they had been thinking of the land from which they'd gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Help us into the, if this, that, but actually it was this, <laughs> in those two verses. Yeah, so if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So the the, the preacher here is basically saying, um, if they had been thinking about where Abraham had come from, they could have gone back there. Um, and it, it would have been that simple. But as it is, they desire a better country, um, a heavenly one. So something that they can't go back to. Um, it's not just a, another piece of land um, that we can go back to and say, okay, well, here it is. Or, or even today with, with Israel. Um, you know, we can't just go back to Israel and say, okay, well, this is it. But God has sought the promise of something even greater, a heavenly one, a, 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 a heavenly inheritance. So God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them this city. Um, so they can trust in God to, um, to give them that which he has said all along, um, that what he had promised Abraham back in verse 8, and then going all the way back to, to chapter 12 in, in Genesis. Um, God, God is their God, and he's not ashamed to be because he has, um, he's made this promise, and he's going to see it through. Now, then, beginning in verse 17, we come back to the story of Abraham, right? So we're going to come back to Abraham and we're picking up kind of the narrative where we left it off previously. Verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Where in the Old Testament do we need to look for this background? Okay, so now we got have to go back to Genesis chapter 22 um, for the for the sacrifice of Isaac. Um, and, and of course, just a, a quick little recap, um, the Lord had, had, had instructed Abraham to take Isaac um, to sacrifice him on the mountain. So Abraham took a couple of his servants along with him, along with a knife and some wood. Um, they went to the base of the mountain. The Lord, or Abraham told his servants to remain behind. He took Isaac up on the top of the mountain. They erected an altar, laid out the wood. The Lord, Abraham, excuse me, Abraham abound Isaac. 
And just as he was getting ready to bring the knife down on his son, the Lord told him to stop. And the Lord provided Abraham with a ram as the burnt offering instead of his son. Um, and so again, we're reminded that though Abraham didn't literally take Isaac's life, he, he did not kill him. But again, from the, the sermon writer, um, from the preacher's words, we're reminded that Abraham was going to kill Isaac. Isaac was good as dead. But Abraham still believed that from Isaac, he was going to provide this family of heirs that was beyond all number. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here again, we have in, the, in this account from Genesis 22, the matter of what is seen and what is unseen. So from everything Abraham is seeing with his eyes, he is seeing his son on the altar ready to be sacrificed, and that at God's word. And yet, all the while, he knows what is unseen, that promise which the author of Hebrews brings up here, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And that that which is unseen, this, this promise that God has made, and he knows the fulfillment is coming, that which is unseen takes priority for Abraham over what is seen. And so he lives by faith. In, in this matter of the sacrifice of Isaac, as it's recorded in Genesis chapter 22. So that in verse 19, the author of Hebrews gives one of the most powerful statements in this entire section, in my opinion. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Talk about that aspect of Abraham's faith as it's described there in verse 19. Yeah, it, th there's nothing more awesome than than what we hear there. Um, God was able to even raise him from the dead. And, uh, and of course, for us as Christians, there shouldn't be anything more that, you know, strikes our conscience and strikes our faith than thinking about Jesus right there in the, in the midst of that text, that God was able to even raise him from the dead, which he figuratively speaking did receive him back. Um, that Isaac is picture of Jesus, um, that God would sacrifice his own son on the altar of the cross, um, and he would not hold back the sword. He would not hold back the knife, but he would lay all, all sin and, of course, you know, ultimately seeing that his son would die there on the cross but more than figuratively, literally, Jesus rises from the dead three days later. That Jesus is the, the ram, the substitute that is given for us. Um, and, and from and through Jesus, does God continue to bless the nations? That through Jesus... On the cross, God draws all people to himself to be made a part of the family of Abraham. Hmm. Yeah, the, the other thing that I think really stands out in this is simply the fact that Abraham believed in the resurrection of the dead. Mm. I, I think sometimes we get the sense that, or there, there's a misconception that mm -hmm. perhaps the belief in the resurrection of the dead is a New Testament thing. 
but here the writer of Hebrews says, no, that's why Abraham was willing to to sacrifice his son. It's not just that Abraham had faith in general, but he actually trusted that God could raise the dead. And and the author even says, and that's in effect what God did was he raised the dead right there. So the again, the faith that God raises the dead is not simply a New Testament thing, but it's a, a faith that the people of God have had in the Old and New Testaments. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and again, the the fact that we see that a little bit earlier, maybe, you know, in verse 12, where he talks about, therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead. Um, we, we start to get a little bit of a sense of that as well. But the fact that, I think the other thing here, too, is the fact that we can see God going from positions and stations where, you know, there should be no good. Um, you know, when we go back to the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, there is no good in the world. You know, there are seemingly no believers. And yet, what does God do? He raises Abraham from the dead in a way, in a metaphorical, you know, figurative way. He raises him from the dead and says, you are my son, or you are going to be the father of these, you know, these coming generations. Um, and, and the fact that God does raise from the dead, you know, and promises that even back in the Old Testament, um, you know, it also reminds me of Job. Um, when Job knows that God is going to raise him from the dead, he will see God with his very own eyes and not another. So from the account of Abraham, then, that comes to an end there in verse 19. After that, we get three more patriarchs. We get one verse on Isaac, one verse on Jacob, and one verse on Joseph. Verse 20 says, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Give us the Old Testament background and what's being said here in Hebrews 11. Yeah, so we're reminded um, of the coming of Jacob and Esau. Um Chapter 25 in, in Genesis, um, where Isaac and Rebekah have their two boys. Um, we are reminded as well that Esau was the older um, and, and Isaac was the younger. We know that there's a little bit of tension heading, going on there. Um, Esau sells his birthright to his brother for a, a a bowl of stew, of lentil stew and some bread. Uh, you know, we have a promise given to God by, by Isaac. Um, and then, we, of course, we have that little bit of tension where Rebecca helps Isaac to fool his father um, into receiving Esau's birthright. Um, and then, of course, um, Esau comes afterwards um, Isaac is upset because he can't figure out what's going on. Um, he realizes that he had blessed Jacob with Esau's blessing. And so all he had left was Jacob's original blessing, which he blesses Esau with. Um, but again, here is Isaac. You know, he and his family are still living in tents. And yet he blesses both Jacob and Esau with the fact that God will God will take care of them. Um, though Esau, that situation um, did not turn out quite like, I'm sure, um, Isaac had hoped for. 
Um, but ultimately, the fact is that God continued to keep his promise to Abraham and then Isaac and then ultimately through Jacob as well. So then, and just so that we keep on moving and get through, we've got about six (laughs) minutes here. So there's Isaac, and then we go to one of his sons, Jacob, but again, toward the end of his life, when he's about to die and he's going to speak blessings, particularly blessings on the sons of Joseph. So again, we've we've jumped all the way toward the end of Genesis here. Uh, Help us with verse 21. Yeah, so now we've gone to chapter 48 in the, the book of Genesis, um, the children of Israel are now in Egypt. Um, Joseph has, has greeted his brothers back and Jacob has been brought to, um, has been brought to Egypt. And of course, um, Jacob blesses, um, Joseph's two sons or two of his sons, um, Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, we know that of course, Levi and his sons, his descendants, will not receive um, an, an inheritance quite like any of the other ones. They are going to be serving in the temple um, and serving God in, in receiving an inheritance in a different way. So Joseph's two of Joseph's sons end up receiving um, an inheritance from their grandfather. Now, both of, both of those, especially I think the Isaac one, is another one of those examples where you see that in when you read the narrative from Genesis, it doesn't always look like Isaac's acting as faithful as he could in giving that blessing. He's kind of playing favorites with Esau, and you might remember that Rebecca, the wife, she's playing favorites with Jacob. And so you, you do see how those who are living by faith are also sinners at the same time in that account as well. Now, as we get to the very end of our text, by faith... Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Help us into that last verse of our text for today. Yeah, so after Jacob dies, um, there's a, a period of time that goes on, and the Joseph's brothers are concerned about what's going to happen with them. Um, Joseph promises that he's going to take care of them and that they will be taken care of. He's not going to take advantage of them. And so at the very end of Genesis chapter 50, Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house, Joseph lived 110 years. Um, he goes on to say to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin. And then we're told in um, Exodus that when the children of Israel are moving out of Egypt, um, God has promised to bring them out, and they've begun to do that. One of the things they do, of course, is they take up Joseph's bones to take them back to the promised land with them. And then we are finally told in the book of Joshua that once they have made their permanent home there in the land, that Joseph's bones are are buried there. Um, but again, I think there's a little bit more to it than that. I think Joseph also looks forward to, again, the resurrection of the dead. I, I think here you can see that Joseph is looking forward to a land that is not just of 
homes and things in this world, but that ultimately he is looking to the permanent foundation, the permanent home promised to us by God. Yeah, yeah. I think I think what Joseph does there in giving instructions concerning his bones, it only makes sense if he believes in the resurrection of the dead, same as Abraham before him, and of course, you know, Isaac and Jacob as well, that the only reason he would care about where his bones are buried is if he believes God's going to raise those bones one day from the dead. And, and again, that's the example that the writer of Hebrews gives of faith. Again, from that takes us through the end of Genesis toward the beginning of Exodus, which sets the stage again, for what we will look at next in the rest of Hebrews 11 going forward. As we wrap things up this morning, Pastor Stork, about two minutes here, uh, help us to, to see the faith of these patriarchs and how that points us to Christ as Christians today. So each of these patriarchs that we spent a little bit of time looking at this morning were redeemed by Christ. They are men and women, including Sarah, whose faith was focused on what Christ in Genesis chapter 3 is, is promised to give us, and that is to give us an eternal home. And each of these people struggled with their own sins. They, they struggled with a life of, um, at times, unbelief, they struggled at times with one another, ju just as we do, even within our, our family in the faith. We don't always get along. We, we oftentimes sin against one another. And yet, by the grace of God, we receive his forgiveness, and, and we forgive and love one another. And so, as we look forward you know, to the, the day of our Lord's return, we can see and use these, these Old Testament saints, St. Abraham, St. Isaac, St. Jacob, St. Sarah, as, as wonderful examples of how we too can live in this fallen world, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Pastor Tim Stork is pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan. He has been helping us today to study Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 22. Pastor Stork, thanks for being our guest today. No problem. Thanks for having me back, Pastor Apple. By faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph all trusted in God. Although they did not see him keep his promises every single time, they could see that the promises were true, and they put their hope in what was unseen, knowing that God would keep his promise even unto the resurrection of the dead. That is the same faith that you and I have in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Hebrews 11, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.